Money Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. And I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Jonathan. Excellent. We got all four of the boys back on the mics again. Indeed, indeed. It's 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 a nice crowded room here in uh, Skypland. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in the uh, Ideology of Madness Conference Center. <laughs> the studio. <laughs> That's right. Ideology of Madness Studios. Um, now, Jonathan, you used to work in a movie theater, right? That is correct. I used to work at one as well. Me too. And I, well, I didn't know that, Paul. I did yeah. not know that you used to work in a movie theater. Well, I, I can't go to a movie theater that I don't notice everything they're doing wrong <laughs> at the movie theater. I mean, when I worked at the movie theater, we were really good about getting people through the line in the concession stand. And it just seems like the concession line takes so freaking long and that nobody knows how to line people up for movies anymore. And that irritates me. I mean, the whole time I'm going, why is it the ticket price keeps going up, but the service keeps going down? I don't get it. That covers uh, most of the streets. I can't say say that I have that problem because uh, we were all very bad at our jobs. (laughs) We were slackers, no doubt. Yeah, I think mostly I'm hearing uh, those darn kids these days. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, Aaron, dating <laughs> yourself. Well, it, well, it drives me nuts. And uh, it has been 20 years since I've worked at a movie theater, but, you know. You yeah, know. It's sad that you date yourself by actually admitting that you remember when there was good customer service anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it, it blows my mind how uh, how slow the concession lines are. I mean, you know, our goal was to get people in and out of the concession line as quick as we can. And, you know, they have more people working their, 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 uh, counters than we ever did but they're slower i don't get it i don't get it well with me i actually went and saw daybreakers last night oh Um, how was that i thought it was really good i wouldn't say it was great but i'll say it was good and you know i'll have my review up on the site probably within the next couple of days but um it's definitely worth checking out it's it's well filmed Mm -hmm. uh so you know it's (laughs) if you (laughs) if you see it on the big screen you know you, you won't be disappointed but my problem isn't so much the concession stands and the bad service, because I guess I've just gotten used to it. It's about, you know, people in the movie theater, you know, cell phones, talking, oh, yeah. that kind of crap. Uh, oh, my God. It, it, it's one of the reasons I hardly ever go to the movies on opening weekend. Yeah. Um, but I was drunk, so I got suckered into it. <laughs> so maybe that's why the movie was so good. <laughs> well, I can't I can't believe, you know, we went to go see Up in the Air. I think that's that new uh, George Clooney movie, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think it's rated R. And yeah, it is. It's a rated R movie. And we saw like the nine o'clock show and somebody's got their baby in the theater. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, come on. You know, it's after nine o'clock. It is an R rated movie. Why the hell is your baby in the theater? I mean, it just drives me crazy. I mean, I think the theater should actually say something about that. I say along those lines, the theater is near me. There's one that everyone talks about because when you go there, it's filled with 13 year old girls that are dressed like they're strippers. The term we've coined for the place is prostitutes. nice it's like do these people's parents even bother to look at what they're wearing when they go out now wayne i think uh, you're dating yourself (laughs) (laughs) well you know uh i i I was working at the movie theater and this will this will really date me when purple rain was in new release (laughs) and you know that was a rated r movie and all the, of course, all the teen, teenage kids wanted to see the film. And so we were having to card at the door because what people would do is they'd buy a ticket, 
you know, to the PG 13 movie across the hall and then, you know, slip into Purple Rain. So we'd have an, uh, an usher on each door checking stubs. These girls come up and I, you know, I'm like 16 years old myself. So I can't, I'm really not supposed to be in that theater. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, I'll need to see your stub. And, you know, the one girl goes, I don't have a stub. And the other girl lifts her skirt. And I'm like, go on in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was now that sounds that more like my movie theater uh, working experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, go on in. And the guy next to me is like, "I didn't see your stub." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, my movie going experience or my movie working experience was uh yeah not 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 quite as exciting as that. It wasn't the life of adventure that yours was. Oh, mine was pretty adventurous. Mine was pretty adventurous. See, I worked uh, was- the year Titanic came out. Uh huh. So that was uh, miserable. <laughs> no, but everyone knew when to go into the movie for the what's-her-face nude scene. Uh, yeah. So you see a little gaggle of 16-year-old uh, movie <laughs> usher just standing at the doors every, you know, yeah. every hour and a half or something like that. On a, a continuing cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my teenage job experience was I worked at Six Flags because they had a Justice League headquarters store. Oh, yeah. So I applied just to work in that store, and before long I ended up running that store, and it was very interesting because you have all the people come in that were talking comic books throughout the day that are at a theme park. Yeah. And before long, you have someone realize that they just spent an hour of the time that they paid for at a theme park standing in a store talking to someone. That would be pretty cool. I, I haven't been to Six Flags in a long time, but I know they still have all the DC hero stuff yeah. there. Well, you know, I worked at uh, uh, Six Flags for all of four days. Four days I worked at Six Flags. I was in the, working in the marionette theater. You know, where they've you know got the, the big puppet show kind of thing. Yeah. I was in the theater club in high school. And so these guys came and they said, yeah, we're looking for guys to you know work the marionettes. And it was a sweet job. I mean, you know, part time. And I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. And they were going to pay 200 bucks a week. And I mean, I was like, fuck, yeah, you know, I'm all over that. You go up and you're on this bridge over the stage. And so you're about, you know, 12, 20 feet over the stage with these giant marionettes. And you're on the bridge and you're not standing on the bridge. You're actually, your body is horizontal across it with your feet up under the rail on the opposite side. So you're, you're maneuvering the marionettes and whatnot. And I got felt up by one of the managers <laughs> and it freaked me out, you know, and what was his name? Uh, his name was uh, Joey, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, I drew these marionettes are worth hundreds of dollars and I dropped both of them immediately, you know, g- go down the ladder of the bridge and I'm out the door in the car and gone, you know, and never went back, never called back. I mean, I was so freaked out by what had happened that I just, I was gone. That was, wow. my, that was my six flags experience. Not Aaron. <laughs> I, I, I was I waiting for tears. How of you. That how narrow minded of you. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, 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 it tickled me inside of my tummy and it, it scared me. <laughs> Wow. I, in the six years I worked there, I, I can say I've never was felt up. Yeah, well, it frightened me. It frightened my my, my little, uh, you know, pubescent self. So <laughs> I don't even know if I've ever been felt up at it. No, I can't say that. <laughs> I, I worked in, the, in a restaurant for two years. I was a waiter for two years. And that job is all about feeling people up. Or being felt up. Or being felt up. Yeah. Okay. All right. See, that, w- that was my movie theater uh, experience. It was it was all about sexual exploration working at the movie theater for me. Oh yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. Well, you know, you've got all those dark rooms to be in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could I could spend hours talking about movie theater experiences. 
and sex. And sex. Yeah. Oh, that was the same thing. Uh, well, I'll I'll schedule I'll schedule you for an episode, Aaron. But okay. I think we're here to talk about comic books. Uh, you know, are we? Is that what this stack of stuff is here? Look at Jonathan keeping oh. us on track. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought Jonathan would be that guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a, a giant, huge stack of books to talk about this week. And uh, one of the books that came out, not this week, but the week before during the actual skip week, was Blackest Night number six. Indeed. And I believe uh, three of us read that one. Um, Paul? Um, I actually really dug it. Uh, It doesn't, it it was really, you know, for an an issue that was released on the skip week, um, it seemed really light to me uh, in story. Uh, it, you know, it was pretty much more fighting and then a cool scene at the end. Uh, but I think the cool scene at the end kind of made up for the rest of the issue. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so, I mean, I can actually say I really kind of loved it, even though during, while reading it, I'm like, all right, uh, that, that same thing I read last issue, but you know, <laughs> the ending was good. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I didn't agree with all their choices of lanterns. Some of them made sense, but some of them, there were just other people that would have been better in those roles. Such as? I'm curious. I think the ultimate symbol of hope is Superman. Who inspires hope on planet Earth and DC Universe more than Superman? I don't think it's Flash. As much as I like Flash, I think the the ring should have gone to Superman. And the same thing, I I don't think Wonder Woman embodies love. I think they're just saying she embodies love because she's their big female character. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I don't know who I would say embodies love, though. Yeah, I wasn't sure on that one either. Just I I wouldn't consider her. <laughs> well, I, I will say the Scarecrow as a Sinestro Corps member, I thought that was pretty inspired. You know, yeah. I at the same time though, I kept thinking I, Joker. You know, because part of me feels like Joker inspires more terror than uh, than Scarecrow does. I guess, but terror is kind of Scarecrow's thing. Oh no, I get it. I mean, I understand why they chose him, but I, at the same time, it's like you know, I, I think you could have made the argument for for the Joker. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the atom as indigo because I don't really know what indigo is supposed to stand for. Right. Compassion, which is kind of, I, 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 you're right. I don't see how the atom uh, signals compassion. I guess they, you know, it's stuff that they've been setting up because of uh, his whole experience in the black ring. Yeah. And even Mira as the red ring was a little, I mean, I didn't yeah. realize she was that angry. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was kind of a, a dubious choice. Maybe they should have had Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> He's in every other book. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and Deadpool, Deadpool somewhere in there too. Pardon? And Deadpool somewhere in there too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, but I noticed none of us have an argument with Lex Luthor as the uh, Orange Lantern. No, I thought yeah. that was good. Yeah, that seemed to fit. Now, my only complaint about uh, Flash as the Blue Lantern because I, I didn't have much of a problem with him being the Hope Lantern, except that I have to do a double take because he looks like the Atom to me. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I see him, I was like, why is the atom so big? Oh, that's Flash again. (laughs) You know, because, you know, they've had some uh, some ad artwork up and, you know, I I just have to do a double take and look for his, you know, little ear fins or whatever those things are to uh, identify that. But, you know, make him something hope would be what you would make him. But Superman just seems the obvious choice over Flash. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But, you know, I. I think they chose it because, you know, to elevate Flash, Flash Rebirth, and then the ongoing series that's coming out. Um, and I wonder if maybe they wouldn't use the argument that, you know, everyone's afraid of the Kryptonians right now. And, maybe- yeah, and I mean, really, this book has pretty much been Blackest Night, Flash, and uh, Green Lantern. Right. Yeah. 
But, you know, uh, it does preview some of the, uh, you know, blackest night books that are coming out. And two that I am really excited about are uh, Blackest Night, The Question, number 37. And if you'll recall, the question ended, uh, you know, the original question series ended at book 36. Um, as I understand it, Denny O'Neill, the original uh, question writer, is returning to write this book. Uh, and has collaborated a bit with Greg Rucka. So I am really excited about this one. And, of course, a full issue of Cully Hamner artwork. Indeed. And then we're also getting one of my favorite books, uh, Starman, which ended on issue 80. And this will be Blackest Night Starman 81 with uh, James Robinson returning to write it. Uh, awfully excited about that as well. And there's all kinds of other books out here. In fact, a couple came out this week. I, I didn't read any of them, but uh, yeah. Well, the ones that came out this week were the ones I wasn't interested in, um, yeah. like the weird Western tales, and I think maybe the Power of Shazam. Um, but I'm looking forward to the Adam and Hawkman because yeah. that's written by Jeff Johns, and his his Blackest Night related tie-ins have actually been you know enjoyable. So mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that one. Well, and you yeah, know, I'm looking forward to Phantom Stranger too. Mm-hmm. And of course, question like you are, and that that one yeah. definitely get picked up. Well, and you know what, what's kind of what I like about this idea over the other uh, Blackest Night tie-ins we've had is that this is kind of resurrecting dead titles, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you know trying to bring as much as they can some of that original talent back to these books. So you know, very very excited about that. And that was really for me. That was really what, what issue six of Blackest Night was kind of about was setting those up. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of setup, and you know, it was funny. I got done with a. Issue six, and I uh, twittered Jeff Johns, who, of course, you know, didn't respond because he's bigger than me. Yeah. Damn, Jeff. <laughs> Damn, Jeff. How's it got to be like that? Um, but it was like I, I was just reading this book, and I'm like, you know, this would make a great action figure line. Mm-hmm. And I know they have one, but I don't want to pay $20 for each action figure because it's right. DC Direct. You know, they need to put out something through Mattel or, you know, one of those toy companies of just all the damn colored lanterns. I'd buy them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If I have all those cheap plastic rings on uh, display in my <laughs> office, I'm pretty sure I'd buy some stupid toys, too. Oh, yeah. You know it. I am, I am on deck for that. In fact, I need a, uh, a, uh, you know, atrocitous figure that doesn't cost 20 bucks. Well, I will say, um, in the newest issue of previews, does anybody read previews other than me? There's a no. <laughs> um, <laughs> they have an ad from DC Direct. I'm going to flip to it so you may hear some flipping pages. Um, in, let's see, advanced solicited for July 7th, they're coming out with a power ring spectrum set, right? Which is, you know, like what we have, um, except nice because it's 70 or 60 bucks and the rings, when you put them on your finger, they light up. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could see something other than, you know, pictures of them. Because I, I would like to know how the quality of the actual ring is and how big they are. Yeah. Because if they won't fit on my fat finger, there's no real – I'll never see them light up. <laughs> Honey, come in here. Put this on. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, you look great. Yeah. <laughs> but You uh, don't even yeah. have to buy bad comics to get them. Yeah, I wish I had known. We bought a lot of bad comics that month. I did anyway. <laughs> Blackest Night number six. We all liked that one? I think that kind of goes without saying. It was yeah. expected. Yeah, it, it did seem a little short to me, you know, with, with, I was expecting more story when, you know, you got to that last page and, you know, then you got all the preview artwork and I, I wasn't, I mean, the preview artwork did what it needed to do. I'm, I'm excited about those books, but I was just a little surprised that the story ended when it did. 
Well, I have to ask something before we move on. Sure. Does anyone read the that the the book of the black at the end? I don't. I did. I did this time, but I haven't any of the others before. I I'm, I'm I I kind of skip over them because they don't seem really vital to the story, and uh, they're not all that great. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. It's just why this is the first one I read, and it's just I probably won't bother with the rest of them. You know, I have a hard time with uh, with you know text stories like that when I'm in comic book mode. When I'm when I'm when I'm reading a an illustrated story, it's difficult for me to to make that transition all of a sudden to this big block text. You know, yeah, you know, uh, Grant Morrison did an issue of Batman. In fact, the issue of Batman where Joker became his Marilyn Manson Joker. Mm-hmm. Uh, self that Grant Morrison has him in now. Um, you know, it's a regular comic size, but it is an entirely prose issue. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, it's, so it actually took me a couple of days to read uh, because I just was not in the mode. You know, when I'm flipping through a comic book, you know, it, it, it's nothing but straight text and, you know, a couple of images along the sides. Um, it's very disorienting. Yeah. I, it's, it's hard to make that transition, I think, for me. Yeah. Those I find big it words. easier to trade paperback than a regular issue because I have an Incredible Hulk collected thing that has Peter David's original version of Hulk the End mm-hmm. that was pure text. Right. Was it the script? Is that what it is? Yep, the original yeah. script before they decided to do the end comics because that story he wrote years before they ever did started doing the whole the end stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had no problem reading that, but if it's in a regular comic, I have a hard time reading it. Yeah, I do too. I now, but. One thing I do really enjoy in, in trade paperbacks is, you know, the writer's comments, them talking about, you know, the process and, you know, there, there'll be those essays that will generally like either be a forward or an afterward. Um, and I enjoy those, but Maybe I it's just, just a matter of how they're written because we yeah. like the stuff in the cry for justice. True. Yeah. No, I really do enjoy that at the end of cry for justice. Yeah. I, Maybe it's, just, it's also, you also don't have another stack of uh, floppies waiting to be read too. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could also be an element of it. Indeed. Okay, so uh, Siege. Yeah, Siege has begun. Yeah, hard. You yeah. can wake up now, Jonathan. We're done boring you. <laughs> oh, what's that? We're we're going on to the important update? Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, during the skip week, Origins of Siege came out, which was a uh, your first look at the event seven years in the making. Um, gave you uh, 12, what, 12 pages or so, mm-hmm. or 10 pages of new artwork and story. Um, and then a whole bunch of, you know, stuff in the back. So I can honestly say I bought Siege number one because I got that free book and enjoyed it so much. And it caught my attention to the point that I bought Siege number one purely for that. It was awfully good, I thought. Yeah. It, it really, I have to say, I, it's only been in the last couple of weeks that I understood what Siege was going to be about. You know, I hadn't connected that it was going to be a Siege of Asgard. You know, and it's just because I've just not been that tuned into the Marvel stuff. So I really liked how this set it up and and, and framed it. And I, I think this did a, a nice job for those people who haven't been reading the Thor books to understand what's going to happen. Yeah, I think this was definitely a book for people who don't read Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because if you don't read Thor, you're def- and you go into Siege, it's going to be a little confusing. Right. Um, but this definitely helped, you know, get you caught up on who the characters were and that kind of thing. Uh, so I actually really liked it. And the art in it was pretty, actually. Yeah. Um, there were some awkward poses, but I actually liked it in general. 
yeah, I thought this was a this was an awfully nice book that they gave away for free. I mean, uh, I, I think it would stink if if you were the person who went to a comic shop that didn't participate in this free giveaway. And I can't imagine how dark and desperate one must feel to uh, shop at such a store. Well, <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, you know, I will say we've been talking for every time Marvel releases, like, because they have nothing but crossovers, it seems like lately. Um, things like Necrotia, Follow the Hulks, all this crap. And we've been saying, you know, it would be nice if some of these pre, you know, these, um, you know, these zero issues or these alphas or gammas or all this crap actually was free. Um, so, I mean, obviously they listen to funny books with Aaron and Polly and, uh, Wayne and Jonathan, um, because they released one for free. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. If they just listen about what if, if only. So, uh, Jonathan, your store didn't participate in this. Uh, no. I'm very sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Rub it in. <laughs> Just trying Thanks, to help. Sir. Anytime. Anytime. Well, I was told my store was not going to participate. I said, hey, are you doing the Marvel New Year's Eve Eve thing? That's what they called it. Right. And he said, no. And so I had planned to go to two different comic shops that day to find one that had Origins of Siege. And, uh. I don't know. I guess he was confused because he had a big stack of them by the register. So, well, well you know, this was the thing that uh, Marvel gave out during the skip week, just like, you know, uh, DC sold Blackest Night number six. And for each one of those uh, comic shops had to sign because they actually got them the week before. Mm-hmm. And comic shops had to sign that they would not sell or release them until the following week. And if you did not get your signature in, you didn't get to participate. And so that there there were a lot of guys who just said, I'm not going to do that. You know, if I get it, I'm selling it. Yeah, that, that was that was that was uh, the explanation of uh, of my comic book guy. Yeah. Well, um, the Origins of Siege, uh, for those who were not able to get it at your comic shop, it's also available on Marvel.com. At least the uh, the actual Siege prologue mm-hmm. um, is actually available for free on Marvel.com. It was available that day, um, and they released the print edition with the uh, the, or- the 12 pages of Origins of the characters who are appearing in Siege. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was really good and yeah. led in nicely to Siege number one. So every uh, everyone on the line obviously read Siege number one. Yep. Uh, I guess yeah. we should do a little bit of a roundtable because there's been you know a lot of buildup for this. So how about Aaron? Why don't you start? What did you think of it? Um, first off, uh, I'll say in general, I really liked it. However, there are some big quality issues with this book. Yes. Um, first page. They they you know Marvel is really good about doing the little first page summaries. And clearly, the editorial, uh, uh, the folks working the the editorial desk just weren't paying attention, because at third paragraph down, the mighty Thor, god of thunder, has recently returned to Earth and brought the golden city of Asgard and all the gods who it call home. <laughs> and I'm like, come on! I mean, that is, I, I read that, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, first page. You only yeah. have to worry about four paragraphs worth of information. And arguably, this is the biggest thing they're going to do, at least for the first six months of 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a pretty darn big book for Marvel. Uh, there's been a lot of buildup to it. I mean, they tell you it's been seven years in the making, and you can't have somebody proof your first page that understands how to understand English. You know, I, I, I don't get it. 
I don't get it. And I am, I will say that I'm also very happy that I did not read the preview that was in Origins of Siege and in, uh, what, Thor 604? Yeah, um, it was actually in a bunch of books. I mean, yeah, and I'm glad I didn't yeah. read it because it, it did have a lot of impact on me. That was going to be my actual complaint is that they put that preview everywhere. So we've seen that scene with Volstag now. Mm-hmm. I've seen it four or five times. It has no impact in this book. And that was my only complaint about the, uh, my only big complaint about the whole book is that that scene, I'm just tired of seeing it because it's been everywhere. Yeah. Not a problem with the book, just a problem with Marvel doing their previews. Yeah. Well, you know, my, I have a, you know, there was the issue on the first page with me. Um, my second major issue with this, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying I actually really enjoyed this as a start to the, to the storyline, um, is, uh, the transcript in the back that, uh, it's Aries Warplan transcript. And we were talking a little bit about prose sections in the back of books, but I actually mm-hmm. read this and it was enjoyable. It read like, you know, a Brian Michael Bendis conversation does. But the third page of the conversation is a repeat of the first page of the conversation. And so you literally lose an entire page of that transcript um, because the fourth page is, is the correct fourth page. It's just the third page that has the same text as the first page. Yeah. So you're, you're missing you know, a quarter of that conversation because of this massive misprint. And that is a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and what, 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 I, what I find offensive about this is that if you bought a DVD and a portion of the DVD was missing and was just, you know, a, a, a different cut scene from earlier in the show, you'd take your DVD back and they'd give you another DVD. Marvel's not going to do that. In what other industry is that acceptable? Good point. Good point. I, mean, you know, I, I really do. I fix it in the trade. Well, I, then I have to buy the book twice. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, this is just a big screw you to your customers. Again, I expect that when I'm paying $3.99 for a book, if I'm paying $2.99 for a book, I expect it to be correct. You know, and I, I look here and there are, uh, there is an associate editor, an editor, and an editor in chief. What the hell is their job? Their job is to edit and make sure things like this don't happen. So, you know, Lauren Sankovich, Tom Brevert, Joe Quesada, what the hell are you doing? You know, and I'm sorry, making it available for me online does not meet my need. You know, if I wanted to read comic books online, I just download them. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I actually buy floppies because I enjoy reading a floppy and I do expect it to be correct information in the book. Let it out, Aaron. Let it out. It just moves up. One of the things that, that irritates me about this industry is that when this kind of thing happens, they don't say, you know what? We screwed up. Here's your correct book. I think they're hoping most people won't even realize it because, I mean, a lot of people skim over that. The, the block text. text. <laughs> yeah, this, this is all new to me because I didn't read it. <laughs> and I didn't read the thing at the end before the uh, the Fall of the Hulk's preview that I also – I did read that. But Yeah. Yeah, Why? Why would you read that? I'm still on the fence. I'm not enjoying Fall of Hulk, so I don't know if I'll pick any more of it up. Well, and you I, know, after reading the preview, I kind of want to buy Hulk number 19 now. Yeah. Well, and I looked at that preview because I don't plan on buying the Hulk stuff as long as Jeff Loeb is on it. But I got to tell you, the Ed McGinnis artwork on The Thing is outstanding. I mean, he just it does a marvelous job illustrating The Thing. Yeah, well, I, uh, you, you guys uh, mentioned in your last show that uh, it might have been that that might have been the last Fall of the Hulk's uh, update. But I do want to point out that I I am signed up for all the Fall of the Hulk stuff. So wow, 
we'll see. I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment, so every every issue, I'm like, I'll give it one more try. I'll give it one more try. Well, I'm going to give Hulk 19 a try, and we'll see how and, it goes from there. Okay, and that's so- why I'm still reading Ultimate Spider-Man. I have the same same horrible glutton for punishment mentality. <laughs> so I do have a question about Siege, though. I'm assuming that this is transpiring at least after Thor 606. Yeah. Because the Asgardians are back in Asgard. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just because of the timing of the release of the issues. Uh, but yeah, it, this takes place after uh, that Kieran Gillen three-part story arc. Okay. Because apparently takes place after Captain America Reborn, which still right. isn't out yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my main, you know, so we, we talked about the quality issues. I have two story beat issues that I thought were, that, that took me out of the story. Okay. Okay. The first was that, so Norman Osborn hires these couple of um, supervillains who I don't even know who the hell they are um, to basically pick a fight with Volstagg and blow up a stadium full of people. Okay. At the end of the issue, Norman Osborn is on live TV with those same supervillains beating up Thor. It just seems like, why would he go with the same supervillains that were seen blowing up the stadium, causing all of this? Am I the I, only one who thought that? I think reading uh, through it, I kind of got the impression that you never saw who Volstagg was fighting. Like the, uh, the on-air people never actually saw who he was fighting. They saw he was fighting someone. And then everyone blamed him. And I, I had gotten the impression that, that Volstagg in that fight in the stadium was made out to be the villain. Yeah, but but then I guess then that leads into the siege embedded question of why why is he just walking around still? Why haven't they taken him down? You know, it, it, it's uh, like, you know, apparently it, he's very sneaky. Apparently, <laughs> he is a sneaky 600 pound dude. Because I, I do have an issue about that when, when we get to siege embedded. <laughs> and my other little story beat that took me out of the issue, just a little thing, is that Steve Rogers watches TV in his Captain America outfit. <laughs> just sits yeah. on the house. <laughs> <laughs> He's given up the shield. He doesn't want to be Captain America right now, but he just sits around watching TV in it. That's yeah. It. <laughs> you know, actually, if I were a retired superhero, I, I kind of think I might do the same. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I didn't think about it from that point of view. But I'm like, wait. He, you know, it, I think it would have been just as effective to see like him standing up and maybe like the Captain America outfit behind him. But yeah, he's just watching TV with the Captain America outfit on. What I want to see is a beer and a bag of chips sitting on the uh, the coffee table, <laughs> and with like chip crumbs on his chest, right? Yeah. yeah, it needs to be like a what was it, Battlestar Galactica season three, where uh, the dude Adama's son gets like the beer belly because he's been out of action for so long. The <laughs> Captain America with a beer belly, just like that. Just yep. Yeah, I was. I kind of agree. I had the same complaint that why is he sitting there? And I know why he's sitting there because they want the impactful art page, and it was impactful. It gets me excited for next issue. But yeah, why is he watching TV in his costume? Now, did anybody else feel like it ended too quickly? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I well, think look at all the stuff they had to put in the back. Yeah, the I mean, I didn't read the preview. I didn't read <laughs> <laughs> the cup of Joe that I didn't read. I read the cup oh, of yeah. Joe, and I mean, that, I read the cup of Joe, and it was just filler. Yeah, I mean, and look at it. This is another one of the things that cracks me up. Look at how large the type is and all the white space on each of these three pages. <laughs> I mean, this was intended. Let's fill some pages. Yeah, you know, it, let's make this three ninety nine. Even though, honestly, the comic itself, the siege portion of the book, 
was just an average 22 pages. Yeah. And I think that's why it blew by so fast. We're getting four 22 page issues. You know, instead of like Blackest Night is about 30 pages an issue. I know it's only eight pages. Uh, but you know, in their effort to keep things tight and quick, I think they're not allowing the story enough room to breathe. Yeah. A bit. I think things just like jump from one scene to the next. And don't get me wrong. I'm being harsh on the issue. Um, because there are, even though I liked it, it could have, it could have been so much better if they had just taken into account some of these quality and story beat issues that kind of took readers out of it or took me out of it anyway. Now, I, I've not been reading the, uh, Iron Man books. But h- how long has Tony Stark been hiding out in Oklahoma? Um, two issues. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah. Because that was you should be reading the Iron Man book though, because it's awesome. And and, and I've heard that. Yeah. Awesome. I forget what show I was listening to, but I, but I heard somebody going on about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I liked the book, and I got to tell you, uh, Olivier Cope- Olivier Coppel's uh, artwork is stunning in this book. I I really am grooving to the artwork. Um. I, 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 it, it is action packed. I think this is, this is going to be a fun run. Uh, there's just some, I, look, some of the quality issues irritate the living tar out of me. And, uh, it, I do think that the story ended awfully soon. You know, I, 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 I'm uncomfortable with how quickly it ended. Here's what I'm uncomfortable with. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that the villain, besides, besides the nameless, uh, hood cronies, that uh, that Osborne gets, you just see like the the Dark Avengers doing their thing. Like I, I thought, the big thing from uh, Avengers: The Initiative was that the Taskmaster was going to be the one who was going to be leading the the siege of Asgard. What, what I think we're going to see in Avengers: Initiative this month is, I think his mission will be a covert mission into Asgard. I think he'll have something specific that he's leading them to do, but I could be completely wrong. Well, and a whole lot of this is going to occur outside the miniseries. So yeah, I think you're going to have to, I think you're going to see a lot of that in, in uh, Avengers, the initiative. I have the same complaint though. I mean, you see all these planes moving in, you see all of these heroes slash villains, you see the whole lineup, but when the fight does start, they only show basically everyone piling on Thor. Yeah, it's again, I, I think it's just it, it, the story with eight more pages. You know, if it was four 30 page issues, it just would have had a little more room to breathe and, you know, yeah. answer some of these, you know, lingering questions instead of, you know, hey, I'm missing. It feels like I'm missing story beats. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, to that same point <laughs> with Siege Embedded, you know, because I'm reading this issue. I'm like, what the hell happened to Volstag? Yeah. And uh, it's answered in Siege Embedded, number one. Um, which I, I really hesitated to buy. Mm-hmm. Cause you didn't like the frontline books. I didn't like the frontline books for civil war and world war hulks and embedded really is the same thing. It's a, it's a frontline book, but I guess because it's not written by Paul Jenkins, I actually <laughs> really like this one. I, See, was surprised. I did like the civil war one, but I hated the other two that came after that. The secret invasion and the world war hulks one. Mm-hmm. I forgot so there was one I did not get up. Well, I was surprised that I liked this because um, I was—I'm kind of right there with Paul. I, I didn't care for the earlier frontline books, but uh, when I opened it up, man, the the first page of artwork—I just sat there going, "Ooh, I'm not going to like this one." Little bit. It, there is some, particularly on the first two pages, there are some very caricature kind of artwork uh, mm-hmm. that's presented there, and I just didn't like it. But after about page three and four, I warmed up to it. 
it did seem that Ben Yurick is drawn a little younger than we typically see him. But other than that, I I liked this. I I, I like the story. Yeah, I, I think if anything, it's actually a vi- unlike some of the frontline books. This was actually well, and even Civil War Frontline, I guess, had a vital ending because of the um the speedball thing. Mm-hmm. But this feels vital to the crossover. You know, you're you're getting those questions about Volstagg answered. Right. Um. You know, you're seeing the after effects of the uh, stadium explosion. Yeah. I, I I was hoping for something. You know, when I when I read the pitch for Siege Embedded, I was like, ooh, you know, there's a great opportunity here for Marvel to do something. Earlier on, there was a story where a documentary film crew went to Asgard, and I was ho- and and actually one of the one of the uh, characters in there actually became Thor for a little while. You know, with the, the cameraman, Roger Norvell, or Red Norvell, as they wound up calling him. And I was hoping that maybe as part of Embedded, they would get that camera guy or, you know, the, you know, one of those, one of those characters would come back because they've got experience in Asgard. And that was kind of a missed opportunity I saw here, uh, in Embedded. Cause here's you know, my issue. Okay. I felt like this story should have been the second feature of the siege book i uh, that's what that's what upset me i was like why are these two different books so you pay eight bucks instead of that's right if it was if it was one 40 page book you'd only be paying like five bucks six bucks but this way they can get eight bucks but uh, like i would have had a better opinion of the of both both stories overall if they were together and it was charged at eight bucks than having the same the same Hulk preview once again <laughs> in the back and uh, you know so that I I didn't like that I was like this just feels like it should be a backup in some other book. Well, I have to ask you because you've been relatively quiet on this whole thing. What did you think of Siege and Siege embedded? You know, the story wise. Story wise, I I really enjoyed it. You know, over the skip week, I I read the first two trades of uh, of Thor, uh, so. Really, I was in the mindset and, and geared up for more Asgard-related activities, I guess. And uh, I've I've really warmed up to to characters like Volstag through reading those trades. Whereas when I've been reading Thor, when I first got back into comics, I was like, "These guys are are footnote characters. Show me some Thor." So mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt to me. Like I had more story in Embedded than I did in Siege. And so I, I went and I did a page count. And actually, Siege is one page longer than Siege Embedded. But boy, it sure didn't feel that way. Nah. Um, and I, I have to say something. Uh-oh. The ad for Captain America Reborn issue number six. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's supposedly due out this month. Um, which is, okay. Um, but I've seen the Brian Hitch cover. They have the Brian Hitch cover for it online. Mm-hmm. But the cover they chose to put in the print ad is the Joe Casada art. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a, I mean, the fact is no one's going to buy the book who's not, who hasn't been patient enough to read the first five issues anyway. So it's not going to get new readers, but it's certainly not going to get new readers with that poor choice of art. I, I like Joe Casada's art. I think this was a, a really bad ad choice. Maybe it's just me. You know, that's you, that's when you know something happened that, uh, you know, something's not going well when you have an ad for a book in a book that was supposed to come out months after the book you're advertising. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you knew it wasn't going to come out in time to add an ad into a book later. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah. <laughs> all in all, Siege is off to a good start. Obviously, I'm I'm sticking with it. Oh yeah. Uh, well, and and, and and again, that that uh, you know Ed McGinnis artwork for Follow the Hulks is is awfully nice. Though I will say, Red Hulk needs to clip his uh, fingernails. He's got <laughs> he's got kind of some girly nails there that need trimming. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> One last siege. Well, no, it's not even siege uh, necessarily. Um, we talked about the origins of Siege that came out on the skip week. Yeah. And um, there was a Marvel calendar, Marvel 2010 calendar. Oh, uh, really? It was also released. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Completely, completely free. Yep. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Yeah, no, and I think uh, it, it's – is it Marco Djurjevic? I think it's, um, it's different characters for each month. And I think they're Marco Djurjevic, uh portraits of each character. Is it actually a flip calendar? Yeah, it's actually a flip yeah. calendar. Yeah, oh. I up my wallet, so I just grabbed it when we were talking about it here. For January, we've got the Human Torch. Well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't so get it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It, what's funny is it doesn't have like any Marvel-related dates on there, which I think would have been a good opportunity for them to put things like, you know, Siege Number Two comes out, Siege Number Three comes out. That kind of stuff. I guess you know. I guess they can't probably do that because of potential delays. You know, if they put it, had put Captain America Reborn number comes out, uh, number six comes out on a calendar. I'm pretty sure that would have been bad. But um, <laughs> yeah. But the calendar is actually really pretty. So I mean, it's free. So if you can, if your comic shop still has copies, definitely pick it up. Mine did yeah. not have that. That's quite distressing. I'm sorry, Aaron. Well, I'm again, this is a great big scroogey, is what it is. It's also kind of interesting. Under each character, it has a established, and then the year the character was made. So, like, Human Torch established 1939, Miss Marvel established 1967, on through the book. I don't know why they decided to add it, but it was it was kind of interesting for me, at least. You know what's funny? I didn't even notice that until you said it. So, oh. I'm rubbing it in a little bit. Yeah, I'm bitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, but do you know we, what's not is there anything that? else... Is there anything else about the calendar we want to talk about? How cool it is? Well, and I understand that uh, you know Marvel hired people to give blowjobs uh, during the skip week as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Aaron, uh, you can't have me on an episode <laughs> and and ha- not have it like followed by an explicit tag. And I'm sure that people, every time people listen, they go in thinking it's me. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, Jonathan, he really just he really just dirties this this podcast, doesn't he? Though, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, enough about siege. I'm bitter about it now. Uh, but uh, Wayne, I'm sorry, uh, John, uh, you uh, you read uh, Red Robin this week? I did. I'm stunned by this. I think we all are. Yeah, it was a very uh, it was a very light week. I mean, when my total comes up to $34 after picking up uh, two DC books. Uh, yeah, uh, I was like, why not? Wow. <laughs> See, my total was 15 bucks, so uh, I must have been doing something wrong. I was in the 20s. I was $21, I think. Holy crap. I bought less than anybody else on this phone call. Yep. That is so unusual, because I buy a lot of shit. You do. We've all, we've all talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, uh, Jonathan, tell us about Red Robin. Well, it, uh, it was a book. 
Um, I, I don't know how to feel about the character. I mean, granted, like, this is the one and only issue I've read about the character. Yeah, I guess part this, 404 at that. Yeah, I guess this is Tim Drake. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know who Tim Drake is really, except I guess he used to be a Robin. Uh, it was cool to actually see Ra's al Ghul for the first time for me. <laughs> I was like, oh, so that's what he's supposed to look like. Not really Liam Neeson. Not really Liam Neeson. <laughs> um, this book features one of the best named villains I've ever seen, Sack. <laughs> amongst uh, amongst other B rate B rate looking villains, correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, they, they in fact they are they were specifically created for this story, so they're all B rate okay. villains. They'll, you know they're the B rate when they. I'm sorry. I say Raj and the White Ghost are those are the only two that are really jumping out at me, glancing through it that are existing characters before this this run. Yeah. Uh, that said, uh, I loved the artwork. Uh, it has that, that style of artwork that, that I, I, I claim to love. So, <laughs> um, you know, it, I mean, it looked very superhero comic-y. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's really a, a cut and dry ending to a, a story. Um, you know, much more heroic than than what I read over on on Marvel side. So, uh, I tentatively enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I have bagged on this title a little bit because I expected a lot out of it up till now. And this issue was Tim Drake as I like seeing him. He goes into the fight, has everything completely calculated out, knows exactly what he's going to do, but he's not Bruce Wayne, so. Things don't work out quite like he had planned, and he's able to adapt on the fly. Yeah, this is I, um, this is Tim Drake. I mean, the rest of the series, I don't know where he's been, but he's been checked out until this issue. Yeah, I think the first four, you know, the first four issue arc was a little rough. I'm glad I stuck with it because this second four issue arc, this Council of Spiders arc, you know, it, I've actually really enjoyed it, and the ending really made it for me. Um, you know, it, it has a couple of pages. You know, Tim's surrounded. So you see a couple of pages of him plotting, yeah, like, you I know, each character's weakness, and basically, you know, you, you the, the fight scene starts and you see him like, you know, enact everything that he had planned, um, and it's it's kind of funny because it's like he even says, you know, twenty three seconds into the fight and he gets his goal, you know, because you know because he planned so well. I uh, I, I really liked it. I, I actually really liked the issue, and I, I really do like Marcus Toe on the art so much better than that first guy. And like you're saying, it's a clear cut good guy versus bad guy. I like that they brought that back to Tim. He's done compromising. He knows who he is now. He is, you know, he is not going to work with Raja Ghoul. He basically comes back to his roots. I mean, a firm stand. Yeah. So, Aaron, uh, you missed out on some good stuff here. Yeah, I don't think so. Pick it up and trade. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, though. I, I appreciate your efforts in this regard. He is going back to Gotham next issue. And is it uh, a different writer next issue? No. Or is it sticking with the same team? Still same team. Now, uh, Aaron, I know you're not about to diss on Christopher Yost. No, I'm just dissing on Red Robin. I really hated Red Robin. 
Hated it. Hated it. Hate. Well, you know, I what think it's understandable. The first run was really bad. Yeah. The second storyline definitely redeemed the title for me. But what kind of pisses me off? They're doing a crossover with Batgirl. And uh, I'm not happy about that because that means I need to buy Batgirl for a month or two. Whew. Ouch. Yeah. It's a little rough. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm excited about that, actually. Yeah. I knew you would be, Wayne. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see those two interact now. I mean, Tim's basically getting a new girlfriend. Stephanie's possibly getting a new boyfriend over there. I want to see the two interact. I don't know that I want a full crossover with multiple issues because Red Robin has just gotten good and Batgirl hasn't. So I don't want one to drag the other down. As Of course, Stephanie's dragging Tim down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I mean, they can write that character well. We did enjoy uh, Stephanie in World's Finest number three. So, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, something good will happen there. We can be hopeful. You can hope in one hand and you can poop in the other and see which one fills up faster. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, apparently, uh, you know, Paul is the cynic lantern. What color yeah. is that? <laughs> Gray. <laughs> um, but we also did. How many? Uh, I know, Aaron, you read Marvel Boy the Uranian. Yes. Um, Jonathan, you didn't read it, right? Negative. And Wayne said he didn't read it either. Nope. I chose not to buy it when I saw the last half was all reprints. I am really speaking to Marvel with my wallet, not that they care about one person not buying a book, but I will not buy something that is half reprints. They're just not getting my money for it anymore. And I will say, this is one time, and this is probably the only time I'm going to say this, where I actually didn't mind the reprint. And they, let me ask you, let me ask you, because I think I know the the reason why is because you've never read the reprint. No, actually, I was going to say, well, there's that, uh, but there's also the fact that it ties into the storyline from the the main feature. Yeah. Um, because the storyline in the main feature is a comic company trying to make the Uranian more likable um, to people uh, in the United States. So they're going to start making comics of him um, and calling him Marvel Boy. And so seeing that comic and, you know, comparing it, you know, there's an origin that's in the, the reprint comic versus the real origin from the main feature. And I, I kind of liked the contrast there. Yeah. Had it had it been any other, you know, way, which it normally is, you know, it's just some random uh reprint, then I wouldn't have liked it. But in this issue, I think it actually served the story. Now, Paul, uh, one thing I want to ask you about, because you know you're reading uh Secret Warriors and whatnot, and I'm not. Um but I, I clued into this from our conversation with uh uh John Jonathan Hickman. earlier this week, where you guys were talking about how, you know, shield is actually a front or is manipulated by hydra um the the uh enemy aircraft looks an awful lot like an early version of a shield helicarrier and all the guys on that aircraft look an awful lot like hydra agents does this tie into that you know i i think that story is still ongoing so i i don't know did you Um, did you kind of feel that same thing though yeah, I, I think that I think this story probably couldn't have happened without you know some of the revelations from Secret Warriors, right? But um, you know, I actually really liked the issue. I did too. I I, I dug this book. But, but I I will give it. 
I liked this issue a hundred percent because of the writing. Mm-hmm. I hated the artwork on this title. I, you know, I think that the, I, I didn't mind the artwork just if I was holding up the page, but in terms of artwork and setting working together, I don't think that this worked well with a 1950, 1950s era setting. You know, I think that the, the artwork is far too uh, stylized for a modern audience versus, you know, tying it in and making it look appropriate to the story setting. Yeah, the artwork is almost like something you'd see like in an Electra book. You know, it's that yeah. scratchy type artwork. Or uh, even you know, a Vertigo like, book. Or a Vertigo book. Yeah. But it did, it did not fit this storyline. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I really didn't care for the artwork, but I actually really enjoyed the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, 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 Wayne, I'm right there with you about reprints. But when I opened it up, I was like, you know, I, I've never read this story back here before. You know, I know I've always known who Marvel Boy was, but really due to his appearance in, you know, early Fantastic Four books versus his original appearances. So I was like, eh, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll violate that rule with something. Go for it. <laughs> well, you know, I, end of a storyline in it or something, but I'm going to try to stick hard to that. Well, you know, and honestly, we're still not saying it's okay because it's really not okay to put a reprint. The only reason I didn't mind it as much in this, like I said, is one, I hadn't read it before, and it really does have something to do with the first story. Um, But in general, I just, I still don't like it. Yeah. I would rather read something and have the little, the little box that says, remember from Marvel Boy number one? And yeah. seek out, you know, seek out the story in a trade paperback or something, then have it reprinted at the back of a new material book. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. But so there you go. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about it. I, it, uh, I actually, like I said, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Nice and, cover, too. And, and yeah, the cover's awesome. I really dig the cover. And boy, you know, I hadn't noticed how much uh, uh, the Uranian in that costume looks so much like the Sentry. I hadn't thought about that, actually. That's not a good comparison. <laughs> I'm still hoping the Sentry dies during Siege. Wouldn't that be nice? I would just I'm be sure happy if uh, you know Thor just crushes his skull. You know, I'd, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. yeah. Instead, Thor got taken down by three guys with no names. Yeah, I I got a real problem with the fact that the UFOs were able to get get a uh, a better job on uh, on Thor. I just yeah, yeah. green man, purple guy, okay, and uh, orange guy. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Instead, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Haunt Number Four, a book all four of us read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jonathan, what'd you think of Haunt Number Four? Uh this was easily the weakest issue so far. I I somewhat enjoyed it, but there were a lot of things that I didn't enjoy. I thought that it was cool learning about this secret agency. Uh, now I just want the character away from it. Like I just feel, I just don't feel like it adds anything to the story when it's like, okay, you work for us now. But then as soon as something happens, he's like, Hey, I'm taking off. And they're like, Oh, we understand. You know, I am noticing something in Kirkman's writing. He does tend to have all of his characters end up working for some sort of government agency. Yeah. Invincible Wolfman. Even Irredeemable Ant-Man when they did that. I mean, all of his characters do seem to end up working for the government in one way or another. So, Wayne, what did you think of the book? Um, I enjoyed it. I didn't really care for the uh, his weakness, 
because they they kept by uh, last issue talking about how this issue will find out his weakness. Well, I don't like the idea that he. I've always hated the idea that a hero's powers are what's are physically hurting them. Mm-hmm. It can be interesting for the short term, but I don't like that as a character concept. Well, and I, I don't see how functional that's going to be in the long term. And, and you know, maybe they've got something awesome planned around it. But you know, he wasn't he wasn't using his full on haunt powers for very long. But of course, he was certainly you know all you know balls to the wall on that. But for it to you know crash out on him mid fight when he had just started the fight um, seems rather rather weak, and so you know you, you kind of wonder how in the world they're going to accommodate that in future stories. Well, no, I, I Aaron, I think that uh, you got it all wrong. Um, <laughs> oh, well, all right then, <laughs> Paul. What did I you think? think? <laughs> I, I think it's the fact that he became he became haunt as he was leaving the agency, stayed in the haunt suit the whole the whole time to to bust into the place, beat up some nameless henchmen, and then fight you know one, like the main villain. That yeah. that's what. I think I think even if he just even if he's just like doing the Steve Rogers thing and like chilling around watching TV in the hot suit, <laughs> it's it's going to uh, it's going to be draining him. I think I think it all it has to do with time, which mm-hmm. is the reason why I didn't like it because I'm like, oh, his weakness. I mean, all weaknesses in here for heroes are plot devices, but this one just seems really cheap. Like at any time they could just be like, cause there's no way to measure time in a comic book. Right. So if he's fighting a villain at any time, they could be like, Oh, too long. You're weak. Yeah. Now. There's nothing I hate in storylines more than powers that just randomly flick out. Yeah. I mean, we have seen that so many times. How many times have they done it with Spider-Man? How many times have they done it with, you know, various characters, both sides of the house? It, I, I'm done with that concept. I want to hear his powers to be reliable. I'm fine with weaknesses, but when the weakness is the powers themselves and the physically hurting, pe- you know, hurting the person using them, I think I'm done with that concept. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I liked the issue. Uh, have I liked it as much as I liked the premise of this? You know, the first three issues. I don't know. The fight scene, I thought, you know, other, than, you know, the weakness part of the storyline, you know. The aspect of the storyline, um, uh, about the weakness probably was a little, you know, I thought wasn't my favorite idea, but, um, you know, and maybe it's the art that's really killing this book for me. Cause I love, I, I love Hartley's art and I mean, killing in a good way. You know, it, it, I think his stuff is great. Mm-hmm. I think the art in this issue was fantastic. Um, you know, it's one of those books where, uh, <clears throat> we're always talking about how the cover looks so great and then you open it and it sucks. Mm-hmm. This one, the cover sucks, and then you open it, and it's great. And I love the whole drive to rescue her, too. The jumping in the car, smashing through walls, all of that. That was a couple pages of really cool scenes. Yeah. yeah Perhaps I'm, I'm drawing too many comparisons with, with Spider-Man. Maybe it's finally catching up to me. But I expected him just to go web-slinging over. <laughs> I'm like, why is he getting into a car? I did why the same he- thing. Yeah, I did Carnage the exact same thing. Carnage doesn't really web swing that much. He turns <laughs> roof to roof. <laughs> well, especially since he used his webs to slow down the car. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, you know, destroying you know, from smashing on the floor. It's I, his symbiote, not his webs. 
<laughs> I was uh, one of the uh, panels or two pages spread that that works really well is you know after he's you know killed the henchman and there's just blood everywhere um, and he's standing there in front of Amanda is that her name Amanda yes um, yeah. you know and it's just kind of th- this moment and you know she runs up and hugs him but she didn't know who he is she doesn't understand that you know this is her her uh, uh, you know, brother-in-law or whatever. And then she just kind of, you know, wait, what are you? <laughs> I mean, that's, it's, you know, what, eight panels later, what are you? I think if I were in that situation, I had just seen everyone around me. Yeah, they were bad guys, but have their heads chopped off, various bloody scenes. I think I'd be in a panic attack looking at this guy, yeah. not running up and hugging him. Exactly. Well, they and- do mention uh, that, that she's uh, not, uh, that she's not taking it as badly as as one normally might. That she's right. a, a strong character. Yeah, yeah. I think she's a bit of a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, she'd have to be, wouldn't she? Yeah, because she's up with both brothers. And That's then she's right. All up on haunt, like, hey, yeah, hey, hey oh wait, getting her leg up. a penis, oh, yeah. you know, under that <laughs> armor. Are you fully? I did like. Well, are you saying she wants to be sprayed with his ectoplasm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here, I was just going to go with the if she does sleep with Han, does that mean she's sleeping with both brothers at the same time? Oh yeah, that would be. A, you know what, Robert Kirkman, call us. <laughs> we have a great idea. We can write a special <laughs> Valentine's Day issue. <laughs> I, what did y'all think of the artwork with? Uh, uh, Haunt slicing the guy, you know, up through his mouth and nose. That was awkward. You didn't like that? It took me a second to figure out what it was. I thought, it, honestly, I, it looked almost like he was just smacking him on the face with, I don't know, like a, a haunt. What, Paul? What was what, what was he smacking <laughs> on the face with? <laughs> <laughs> it was just a very odd. I thought it was a very odd. Now very I do. I really only have one complaint about the book, and it's uh, some of the writing, which is strange to say because I'm such a big Kirkman fan. But there is a page where I guess he's the director and he's standing over uh, uh, the the priest's bed, you know, after the the big fight scene, and he's he's worn out. And it's this block of of text, and the the different paragraphs don't seem to go together. You're back at HQ. Amanda is in protective custody until we know she's safe. We told her this was all a misunderstanding. She was somehow targeted by mistake. She still has no clue what Kurt actually did for a living. I'd prefer to keep it that way. She didn't recognize you. It seems this order, uh, this ordeal, wasn't as traumatic for her as one would, would suspect. She's a strong woman. And uh, maybe it's the way that the, that the lettering is done, but it, those statements really need to be separated more. You know, it's a whole lot of information that he's providing in that one piece. And it just doesn't seem broken up enough. It definitely does sound more awkward hearing you read it there. And the one that was for the first time. Yeah. Maybe so, you uh, should have your segment, Aaron reads the comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just seemed, you know, when I was reading it, it just seemed herky jerky to me that it just, you know, generally when you've got those kind of shifts, you'll have, you know, the letterer will put, you know, one block of text, one bubble of text, you know, at one part of the panel, and then, you know, there'll be a break. And so you'll you'll, you'll gather that when you're reading. And I, it, it was just all kind of clumped together, uh, almost like, you know, that kind of stuff's supposed to be flowing, and it really didn't. And I don't blame that on Kirkman. I blame that on the lettering, which is strange. You know, you don't usually, uh, you know, call out the lettering on a book, but uh, I think that was a problem here. 
Now, one thing that uh, that I I will say positively about the book is I'm really digging this uh, this crime boss uh, main villain dude, the health nut. Yeah, that was eccentric. Yeah. yeah, I I I love I love eccentric characters, <laughs> and and this guy fits the bill. I think I he's love how be small the phone is in his hand. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. quite sure how to react when I was reading it. He starts going on about the guy's cholesterol. <laughs> that was awfully funny. I was, I was, you know, <laughs> I kept expecting the guy to say, "Hey, hey, chunky," <laughs> but well, uh, as, especially after, especially after uh, threatening him that that he's going to give him one last chance to succeed, yeah. you know, with the implied threat that he's going to kill him. But then, <laughs> but then, just going on like, you can't be an assassin forever. You don't want your body to crap out on you when you get into your golden years. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I thought one particular piece of text was, was rather chilling, you know, but do not consider this a second chance, my friend. Make no mistake. This is your last chance. I, I thought that was that was particularly well written. I agree. Um, and, you know, one thing I want to say about Haunt um, that I was reading uh, online. Oh, no. In previews. Oh, it all goes back to previews. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, this story arc ends with issue five. And issue six is done by Greg Capullo, Cappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing the art on issue six. Yeah, I, I, I love that guy's art. I, I am super excited about that. And it's the backstory of the female assassin who's introduced in this issue. Cool. And it's all wrapped under a crappy McFarlane cover. Yeah, I, I didn't think the cover was that bad, guys. You know, it didn't it didn't bother me, and I was glad that it didn't look like a Spider Man cover. So really, that's my threshold for haunt covers right now. Is that, that it did not, not look like a Spider Man cover? He spelled out "help" with his webs. Yeah, but he didn't have him like swinging through the rooftops. It's just him, you know, crashed in an alley. Yeah, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> Symbiote. Sorry, that's right. Symbiote. There you go. <laughs> All so, right. Um, Paul, you read Escape. You you read Escape from Wonderland number three. I did indeed. Um, now I'm not going to go into too much detail on this issue because I'm the only one who reads uh, Xenoscope's uh, Escape from Wonderland. Uh, I love the book. Huge fan of it. Uh, we've spoken to Reagan Gregory multiple times. He's a friend of the site. Um, but I do want to say that everyone in the world needs to buy Escape from Wonderland number three because on the back cover. There is an ad for The Waking, um, which we actually talked about on the website uh, recently, um, which is a comic. It's a horror zombie comic written by Raven Gregory. It's a miniseries, four issues long. Um, but the ad has a quote from ideologyofmadness.com. Which is pretty darn awesome. Yep. There are three Whoa. quotes on the back cover. It's Tim Seeley, who writes Hack Slash, Ain't It Cool News, and Ideology of Madness. And we are right on the top of the ad. I think that really says how few people are saying things about this book. (laughs) (laughs) JK, just K, you know, love you guys. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So um, Aaron's going to edit you out of the show. You know, but I yeah. went to go pick, uh, pick that up when, when Paul let me know and uh, Escape from Wonderland was sold out at my store. That's actually why I haven't read it. I picked up the first issue, and then my shop hasn't had two or three since then. Yeah. I enjoyed the first issue, though. Well, you know, I understand everyone's picking it up because of the back cover. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and it's... it's, it's, it's <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I think we're actually going to be quoted on the cover of The Waking when it's released. 
um, in February. So pick it up. Buy it. Damn it. It's actually pretty good. All right. So uh, Jonathan, New Mutants, number eight and nine. I would actually like to start with X Factor Nation X. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not how that's uh, listed on the outline. (laughs) 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 X-Factor Nation X one-shot. Now, I'm going to try to be quick about this to uh, save time. Uh, Basically, X-Factor Nation X, written by Peter David, is uh, a one-shot where X-Factor is invited over to Utopia uh, to meet with uh, Cyclops and the gang. and Cyclops' goal here is to get them to stay. This book is utter crap. <laughs> I mean, this is bad. It, I mean, <laughs> Peter David's just horrible run on X Factor just bleeds into X characters I actually like. Uh, he even manages to draw out all of the most obscure people, even on the island of Utopia. Uh, the characters are flat. Uh, it's it's everything you don't do in a book is 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 uh, exhibited here. Um, God, I hate the team of X Factor. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're horrible. I mean, you've got Madrox, who's the hero of the story. Layla Miller, his love interest. You've got uh, Monet and Siren, who are are. I mean, you forget that they're even part of the team most of the time. Darwin is there to be weird and obscure. Uh, Shatterstar and Richter are there to be gay with each other. <laughs> strong guys. If strong only guys, you were joking. <laughs> strong, strong guys there to be strong. And long shots there to sleep with chicks. That is it. There is nothing more you will get out of these characters other than the descriptions I've presented. Uh, and it becomes very apparent when they're dealing with the other uh, X characters. Wait, so you said Longshot is one of X Factor? Yes. Isn't that like, I mean, with Shatterstar on there, isn't that like having two of the same character? Uh, no, because Shatterstar is sleeping with a dude and Longshot is sleeping with a chick. No, See, two different, different characters there. <laughs> 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 and it's it's just, I mean... You've got these characters being reunited with old friends, which could be for someone who used to read these characters back in the day, really, really cool. And Peter David drops the ball. Instead, he gives you the same flat, no depth characterization that, that, that he just delivers in every month. Um, you know, it's all about anytime Sherstar talks to somebody that happens to have a penis, Richter gets upset and is jealous, which is, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Longshot, Longshot is reunited with Dazzler. Their interaction is Longshot like, hey, want to have sex for old time's sake? And she's like, what? You can't just, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's it for them. <laughs> you know, uh, strong guy is, uh, he meets some, some new mutants and, uh, his whole thing is that he just wants to be strong with them. So they play football. It, uh, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. Let's, let's talk about what, how you do things right. And that would be new mutants. Uh, 
New Mutants uh, number eight is the final part of the Necrotia storyline for New Mutants. Um, this is this is how you bring characters back that have history with each other and have it be impact impactful, you know. And even though all Necrotia has been so far is a you know front cover to back cover fight. Zeb Wells does an excellent job of, of providing character details, setting up hooks for future storylines, uh, you know, and and really making the the reunion of these with some of their old friends and and villains. Uh, you know, you really you really feel it. You really believe it. You know that this is that this is how these characters would react. Um. And uh, you know, I mean, I've I've been blowing the New Mutants uh, for a while on this show, uh, so it's no surprise that uh, the final the final issue of this storyline would be just just as good as it's as it's been thus far. New Mutants number nine. Uh, I hated the artwork, but uh, the story was still good. Uh, moving on from from Necrotia, which I think it's so weird that uh, that the X books are so disjointed in how they're telling this story. <laughs> As now when New Mutants num- number nine starts up, you know, I guess whatever happened when Necrotia is gone, oh, that really makes you feel suspense, huh? <laughs> uh-huh. So, okay, so let me get this right. So yeah. Necrotia, which doesn't end until March in X-Force, is already over in New Mutants. Right. So when you see characters in New Mutants, like, oh, well, you know, there's Emma Frost and, uh, you know, stuff like that, you're like... Well, I guess I guess nothing bad happens to them. So okay. <laughs> when I, when I read them when I read them in other books, they'll be untouchable. Great, Marvel. So Marvel. I don't like that aspect. But you know, th- this was really a a uh, a character book. It, it's like what I liked some of the books from from the '90s, where it was like, uh, you know what? There's not going to be a whole lot of fighting in this book. We're just going to really get in depth with with some of the characters that we've got. And uh, and I always really loved those issues back in the day, and and this takes takes up right right from that as as it's pretty much Ramsey being uh, reunited with uh, with the New Mutants, and uh, pretty much they can't stand and don't trust him, which I I really like, and he knows this, you know, through his mutant power of. You know, I mean, he can read their body language and know exactly what they're saying to him, even if it's not what they're saying. Uh, and I love it. So it was good. That's all I've got to say, because we don't have much time left. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Cable 22. I have to say something that I don't think has been said on the air ever recorded before. Oh, Jonathan was right. Wow. <laughs> If, if if I if I recall from the uh from the uh two thousand nine Funny Book Awards, that was said quite often. <laughs> <laughs> I bought this title for the first time in a long time this week and I absolutely loved it. I'm curious how long this whole uh, Bishop Cable Chase thing's been going. I'm curious if Hope was uh aged basically if they did an age jump or if it's actually supposed to have been with cable for seventeen years. I've got a lot of stuff to look up on this title that's been happening, but I really enjoyed this. Well, this was Cable 22, 
the chase between Bishop and, and Hope and Cable has been going on for 22 issues. <laughs> uh, the the title of this comic book should be called Hope, and I've thought that since I first started reading it. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, there, there really hasn't, I mean, obviously 22 issues isn't 17 years worth of issues, so I didn't know if you meant, like, if she aged real time or... If I mean between issues, there were jumps in her age, but it wasn't anything artificial in the story. Okay, that's what I was asking. If it was artificial in the story or not? No, she she has she she's pretty much been been raised since birth by Cable. Okay, so because I had this question too, because I haven't been reading Cable, I just read the Messiah Complex storyline. So this is so essentially twenty two issues of Cable has been seventeen years of their life. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. I'm uh, surprised Cable and Bishop don't look older, having been 17 more years. Come book. on, man. They're comic book characters. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised True. Batman isn't 60 years old, considering Dick Grayson's like 30. <laughs> and, uh, Wayne, you, you're jumping in right right at uh, in the middle of the the power switch between Cable and Hope. You know, up up until the last few issues, it's been all about Cable, you know, protecting her, keeping her safe, and things like that. And you're really starting to see all of the uh, the training that he's been instituting to her come out now, where where she's pretty much the one saving the day now. Uh, because I'm looking, forward to the, uh, I'm looking forward to getting the other issues and seeing what happened to Bishop. Lost an eye, lost an arm. Wow. Yeah. Definitely yeah. check out Messiah. Messiah War uh, was a good storyline, and I think that's the, I think that's where he lost the eye or something. Maybe. Yeah, it's uh, but it, I mean I, I've been raving about this title because it's it's the only it's the only comic book it, that that I've read where you really get to see a character grow up and progress in in such a short amount of time without retcons and and all that craziness so uh, you know it I mean you you'll get to see you pretty much get to see every aspect of of hope's life growing up through through adolescence and and you know she falls in love for the first time it's it's really good stuff so yeah I definitely recommend uh, checking out the back issues <laughs> cool well <clears throat> oh, go ahead we uh, also had JSA All Stars number two this week, uh, <laughs> and uh, I know that Jonathan uh, read that one, right, Jonathan? Yeah, Aaron, you pick up I, every book we say is bad. <laughs> uh, Aaron, I, uh, I I really have to question the fact that this is the book you read and passed on Red Robin because you're like, oh, it's so bad. You know, uh, I. <laughs> while, I, while I don't think that the uh, the lead story in that book is is particularly good, um, I really enjoyed the backup. I really enjoyed the Kofi. <laughs> that's a poor. That's 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 a poor excuse for buying the book. Aaron, for the, I was for disappointed the by the backup. I thought it was going to be good, and I didn't really enjoy it. The one thing I did enjoy in this book was the uh, their computer system, the artificial intelligence. Yes, yeah, that amused me as well. But now that we're seeing Power Girl and Magog fight, I don't see the point in this book existing. The I, whole point was that they were fighting with each other, the team split, 
well, now we've still got the same thing. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I thought that we were going to get past the bickering once the team split up. So you know, unless something radical happens within the pages of that book, I just see the, I see that team just falling apart. You know, because nobody seems to be happy on the team. You know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of uh, reading Marvel comics from like back in back in the day. Uh, but you know, back in the the original like the original run of X Men and stuff when they had villains like Plant Man. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. When the when the injustice society shows up, <laughs> let, let's see. You've got Tigress, the Wizard, Johnny Sorrow, Geomancer, Avalanche, Icicle, Iceman, <laughs> Killer Wasp, and my personal favorite, Shiv. <laughs> 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 well, I, I I am sorry to say I will not apologize for the book, uh, simply for the fact that I, I, it's not at all Sturgis's best work. I I hate to say it. I mean, I really do like Matt Sturgis, but I, I'm really not grooving to JSA All Stars. But I did enjoy the co-feature. I, I, I know Wayne said he didn't, but I got I, I got a kick out of the banter and interplay between Liberty Bell and uh, Our Man. You know, I, I just expected got a lot more of it, and that's one of the reasons I was disappointed. I didn't care for the banter that they did have, and I expected more of it. Yeah. Hey, what costume is Liberty Bell wearing? She's wearing the Jodhpurs. She's wearing the uh, the older costume. <laughs> so I don't I don't think that the Flash Rebirth redesign of her costume is going to stick. We can hope. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And you know, I I, I apologize for Jonathan that uh, that he picked this one up. <laughs> but but I will but I will speak to what he's what what he's complaining about. Uh, JSA is all about nostalgia. You know, JSA is not a uh, a a series of books that's really written with a with a modern style to it. Um, it's about the older characters and the legacies that they've left behind. So you do get some of the you know more Silver Age and Golden Age kind of villains in the book versus something that you might see in the pages of like Green Lantern or the page. It's, it's also all about not drawing pupils. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of the mission statement. <laughs> uh, now, uh, I would say the best line in this book is uh, by the wizard when he said, "When he states, you're not worthy of my infernal lemurs. Infernal lemurs, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> well, would you prefer some other type of lemur? <laughs> now, I will say, because I don't have anything else good to say about this book. I say I really enjoyed the AI. I loved when they bring her online. Her first lines are, hello, mortal creatures. I've just achieved total sentience. Within 40 seconds, I'll have taken control of all your world's nuclear weapons. Within eight hours, I will have annihilated all human life. Your world is now mine. And then followed up with, uh, settle down, just a joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love the reaction of the characters around. Um. <laughs> and they've got that whole thing later where she's talking about, uh, I want you to teach me how to be human. No, I don't want to be human. What are you, stupid? <laughs> you excrete. That's gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I will agree uh, with Wayne on this, is that uh, I, I liked the AI, but... It, I'm reading this book and I'm like, is this supposed to be a parody book? Because that's what it felt like to me. Well, it felt and I, like do, I, it felt I, like I, do, I was reading Deadpool with no Deadpool. <laughs> well, and I, and I do think there's a bit of a wink and a nod 
uh, written in that book. I just don't think it's done particularly well. You know, I, I think I, I there's a, a lot of things I question about it and where a lot of where that book goes wrong. The main title, uh, Justice Society, is doing it right. I mean, Willingham, it really did a very strong job on his. And this is the third episode. Now I've talked about that book. And, but Justice Society rocked, and I'm looking forward to the next issue, and I'm really unhappy with where JSA All-Stars is going. Yeah, I completely agree. We've got a contest going on the blog right now. Uh, I, there were so many great indie comic books uh, during Indie Comic Book Week. I reached out to a number of indie creators, and we've got more than a dozen indie creators that are participating in our Indie Comic Book Sampler. So uh, more than 12 different titles. In fact, uh, several uh, uh, collections are actually uh, in- included in the Indie Comic Sampler. We've got one grand prize that wins one of everything, and then uh, a second and third prize as well. All you got to do is go to the blog. There'll be a link in the show notes, and I'll tell you how to enter. Um, this is an awesome contest, I- and I can't begin to tell you uh, the stack of indie books that I've got uh, here at the uh, ideologyofmadness.com towers. Uh, it's just a ton, ton of indie comic books. Yeah, I've been considering reaching out to some of those guys as we've been doing prize support for a few of the con. Oh, you, I, I, can, I can send you my email list if you want to do that because uh, I'm sure they'd love to get their, their comics into the hands of some uh, of some other readers. I would appreciate that. Yeah, I'll shoot that over to you. And speaking of Fear the Con, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little about that, Wayne? I am actually very excited about it. We've got a lot of great things going on there this year. Uh, all the details can be found at fearthecon.com. It is primarily a role-playing convention that we hold every March, but it's also board games. There's a lot of uh, a lot of nods to comic books in there as well, including quite a few comic-related games. We've got the guys from over at Roleplaying Public Radio who do uh, actual plays as their main podcast. They're coming up, and I'm going to be in one of the games that they run that's a kind of a Watchmen-inspired game called Age of Masks. And actually, Aaron is in that game with me as well. I am. I am. I am pumped about this. And you're going to have uh, three of our podcast personalities there. You'll have me, Wayne, and Jonathan, I believe. Jonathan, you're going, right? That's the plan. That's I'll a- be there along with uh, my co-host, uh, Chris, and... Uh, I'll actually be meeting him for the first time, so it should be interesting. Very and we'll exciting. all be talking about how disappointed we are that Paul didn't come. Yep. Paul. Stinky old yeah. Paul. I know, I suck. But <laughs> on the bright side of things, we can tell our listeners about some awesome stuff coming to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. All right. What, what kind of awesome things do we have coming to the blog, Paul, and coming to this, the podcast? <laughs> this month alone. Listeners can look forward to interviews with Kieran Gillen, uh, current writer of Thor, Sword. Uh, he also wrote the Dark Avengers Ares miniseries. Um, and that's going to be our first international interview because we're interviewing him from his home in England. Um, we won't be there, but he'll be there. Um, we've also got Jonathan Hickman, writer of Secret Warriors, Woo-hoo! Fantastic Four, and a whole bunch of other crap. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I, I use crap like stuff. I think that I'm calling his stuff crap. And uh, last but not least, Rick Remender, writer of uh, Punisher and um, Doctor Voodoo and The Last Days of American Crime. You have got to call him on Frankencastle, though. <laughs> we'll wait till the end on that one. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, all that and more is coming. Um, so you know, keep it tuned to the podcast and ideologyofmadness.com. Well, excellent. Well, it's been another exciting week here at Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and friends. And uh, uh, come on back next week. I think we've got the full crew back next week. Wayne, Jonathan, y'all with us next week? Yep. Oh yeah, most excellent. And well, uh, I'm happy. We'll see. Uh, well, maybe, maybe Paul. Maybe, maybe not Paul. We'll see. We'll see what we can work out. We're renegotiating <laughs> Paul's contract. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks a bunch, guys. You guys have a good one. Thanks. Later, friends. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. I know, I suck.